in general, in the long game, if you take care of and develop your people to be the best they can be, there will be larger rewards. That is not always true in any given quarter. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Sandeep Rao and you are most welcome. So what do I have in store for today's episode? I've got a lovely guest lined up after my few words of wisdom. Um, there's something now which we hear a lot about, which is literacy and not in the sense that you might think, because while there is all this thing being spout out um, about a financial literacy, it seems like a population that's already literate is getting more literate about a certain thing. And if you're on YouTube and you're looking at ads, possibly before this video, which I hope not, you probably would have got these guys going, is Chat GPT taking your job? Or are you sitting in front of this apartment block looking back and wondering how to get your dream home? It's crazy how much fear and anxiety these people put into like, Oh, you know what? If you are doing all the things at your job, you're doing something. I mean, fuck these guys, right? I know I've spoken about these YouTube ad guys before, the guys who tell you how to get quick, get rich quick, or to um, use a certain tool. All these weird kind of guys, first of all, who you wouldn't trust with, you know, fuck your haircut. You wouldn't trust them even with you know, getting onto the footpath next to you. But suddenly now these guys are going to tell you how to get, um, you know, whatever they're, they're preaching. Um, but anyhow, the, this whole financial literacy thing is, um, I don't know if it's, it's bogus, but it's, it's one of those things, which is a trend that everyone seems to be telling you how that they were in, in, in the shithole, but suddenly they saw the light and now they have the, the wherewithal, uh, to teach you how to make money, to be more responsible about money. And suddenly there's this whole generation of people who are responsible with money. I remember when I was in my twenties and money was uh, not abundant, but at the same time, it wasn't something that I was um, told about all the time. And it was one of those things which I wasn't reminded about how I have not so much as the person next to me, uh, how I need to be wise and start investing. And if I start compounding at the age of 20, by the age I'm 60, I can retire. Well, you know, I think we do have more information, of course, and more exchange of information and more, more access to information with all these various platforms that we are on all the time. And as a result, there's the dissemination of information. That's the entire reason I did this intro to say the word dissemination. Now, that aside, there's a lot more people who can reach out to other people. Now, is that good? Absolutely. Is that bad? Absolutely. Now, why is it good? I think it's good because there is more um, access as the word is empowerment. But the problem with that comes a whole lot of bullshit for every one person who actually can help you. There are a lot of these other people who are just going out there trying to talk about stuff that they don't know and reel you in with some whole lot of bullshit. And that of course comes with, you know, open access to information, but I don't know how good this is as a, um, thought process, because while, you know, I might have been extremely um, frivolous with spending, and I still am, but now, you know, when I'm I'm 40, and I'm thinking about my family, I'm thinking about providing for them, or at least having a safety net for them, I have, I ask these questions, but it also comes from a context of, 
being in this position after many years but somewhere else where i read after the lockdown a lot more people who had this mindset of saving and having investments and having all these plans for their future were like fuck it you know what man everything that i expected and saved for to, didn't 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 keep me in a safe place when the lockdown hit i was out of a job i was fucked so why should i now be safe why should i plan for a safer future when i can just say you know what today is when i'm alive today is when when i have everything that i do and i have these dreams and i'm going to head go ahead and make it come true now i've lived both lives i've had the life where i was like you know what living from a maxed out credit card to waiting for my dad paying it off when i was in university and the 100 pounds that i got would go straight into booze and i would be left with 2 pounds for food fucking amazing right and what do you get for 2 pounds top ramen brilliant but then when you are hungover and you have top ramen on your lap or cornflakes or whatever you get for 2 pounds you can smell the curry from the neighbor's house or you can smell dog shit from the neighbor's house which smells amazing right but i've been in that position to now a position of security where i'm debt free in some way not earning because i'm taken a break from stand up but i'm in a place where i can make decisions that aren't desperate and i feel that's a nice place to be now coming from both places or be, having been in both places or in one place now having been in another in the past i think the pressure of saving is is too much i think you need to be sensible and not spend all your money and have 2 pounds or equivalent of 2 pounds in your bank account where you can't really decide what you want to eat because the power of choice when it comes to food is important and in hindsight i can say this but then you know when the 100 pounds comes back in the account did i make wiser decisions the next 10 10 times no i still was ending up at 2 pounds sometimes even less sometimes maybe a pound more because the last the previous night i was spent the balance of the 3 pounds on some dog shit kebab or some chips with a lot of thing which next morning is sitting next to your bed all coagulated into this mess of regret and you kind of need it because you're just regretting what you did and you're this close to being sick now the other thing of being constantly pressurized into saving or being told that you're being unwise or being unsafe but not saving 30% of your income is also i feel too much for young people man you guys got too much shit and i don't mean this as an old fuddy duddy right like sitting in my 40s talking down to you but when you're in your 20s you have an opportunity at this time right now where you're earning maybe 5 times 10 times what people did even as early as 2004 and i think there's so many avenues to spend that money right of course now if you think that spending is going to make you happy you're fucking right it does but if that's the only reason you're making money is to kind of just get these things for status then i don't know that's another conversation for another time but there needs to be an outlet where you can go with the power of money behind you as a tool to give you some sense of fulfillment for doing that job that you work fucking 40 hours a week for so when you go out there you want to buy those pair of shoes that you can because you have an extra 10k in your account or whatever your shoes cost or you want to go buy that top because you know what just because you fucking can go ahead and do it and don't always be stressed about these narratives that are being sold to you by fucking idiots on youtube who think that they know it all and who think that making crores of rupees is the only way that they can be happy like no spend some because if you spend some you make some and what do you make you make experiences you make a memory maybe sometimes you regret that memory but you know what regrets will fucking give you stress if you want them to give you stress because if you give them not too much importance they go away and there's something from experience i'm telling you because if you hold on to regrets like how you hold on to money it's going to weigh you down so i'm not here to tell you any kind of advice about financial literacy you i think are smart enough to figure out what you want but all i'm here to say is when you make some money man treat yourself spend it 
don't only try to save it and listen to people who think that, oh, my compounding, yeah, they have some sense. I'm sure there's books on it. I'm sure there's self-help books about money. I'm sure there are support groups about spending all these things and all those things are out there, but all those things can also stress you. So just chill once in a while. If you make some money, you want to splurge, take out, take your friends out, get smashed, buy yourself something which you really want or something that makes you feel good, look good, make you feel good about yourself, make you feel worthwhile about the job. If it's a shitty job, then even more so buy yourself a pair of jeans, man, do it, lady, whatever you may identify as. Enjoy. So that's my, I wouldn't say a few cents, but that's my little tip from experience, if that counts for anything. Well, let me talk about today's guest. Well, I've got Liz Kislik. She's a management consultant and an executive coach. Well, conflict is something we all experience. We experience it at the workplace, in our relationships, at home, with parents, with siblings. Now, is conflict good? Well, it can cause stress. It can cause unease. It can cause discomfort. It can cause a lot of tension in all kinds of situations. So today, I'm talking to Liz about conflict, about how to deflect conflict, how to work through conflict, and how to understand conflict, and a whole lot more. I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation, and Liz has a lot of insight from her vast knowledge and experience in this field. So without further ado, here's Liz Kislik. Liz, if you're listening, thank you for joining me on the episode. And to all of you, appreciate it as always. Till next time, stay safe, stay happy, goodbye, God bless, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Liz. I'm so happy to be with you. You mentioned something uh, we were just talking before we started recording. And I want to understand what your take on this is because uh, it's something I've been trying to do and it's something I've been trying to process. But can you talk about the idea of letting go? Because you mentioned that briefly and I uh, uh, paused you over there because I wanted to get it on the episode. So could you... uh, give me your understanding and how you look at the idea of letting go? So I think letting go is something, I guess if you're lucky, that happens naturally when you get to a point where hanging on tight isn't serving you anymore. Mm -hmm. We were talking before a little bit about our children Mm -hmm. and I was expressing my gratitude that my kids have been my best teachers, mm-hmm. not just in life, in my profe- for my profession, mm-hmm. um, because I've learned so much from them about how people operate, et cetera. And one of the things that became quite plain fairly early on was that, in fact, we have very little control, actual control. Um, there is control that comes from greater physical strength. When you have a baby, you can put the baby under your arm and carry them away. Yeah. Um, but once you lose that kind of physical control, there are other kinds of power, whether it's hierarchy or money or whatever gives you power. But in general, when you're dealing with humans, if you want things to go well, you have to understand that it's not all up to you. Yeah. You get to have your viewpoint and you can express it and you can express it in multiple ways, multiple times. But then you have to let go 
in the sense that other people will do what other people will do. And you have to learn to either meet them or walk away from them or whatever is necessary, I would hope, for your mutual good and also for your own good. Which seems like such a important way to live life, right? Because the moment you hold on too tightly to anything, whether it's your value system, whether it's the way of life, whether it's your ideology, um, the, 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 I mean, just to go beyond um, functioning, it also kind of becomes too much of an attachment for you. And as a result, you kind of become that, that particular thing. And as a result, you get upset and you see this in today's day and age where everyone's offended, is too sensitive, everyone is um, unable to handle uh, contrary ideologies or ideas or, or things that don't suit them. And as a, as a result, they want to either cancel someone or they want that person fired or they want that person to leave their friend circle. Like on social media, if someone doesn't say something that suits you, you just kind of block them or you... Uh, cancel them or you report them and as a result you you mentioned that you do focus and you do help and you understand the human condition so what is the present situation of the collective human condition in 2023 oh gosh so that's such a big 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 <laughs> question okay from my perspective so what you started with is like the Buddhist concept of grasping. Mm -hmm. And if you cling too tightly to anything, it's almost as if you stop looking around you at what is actually there. You are holding on to your concept that existed at a moment in time, your perception, your belief. Yes. You might be right, but you might not be right. Mm. Very often, I, I'm fond of saying to my clients when, oh, say um, one leader is having a conflict with another leader yeah. and one of them tells me the story and I suggest to them that their perspective is accurate but incomplete. Yeah. It is only what they see and not what else is happening around them. And being able to let go of your narrow conception and recognize that there are other points of view mm -hmm. and that you can take in other information yourself and change your own point of view. That gives you more flexibility and more freedom. Yeah. I, I really don't like the concept of canceling. Mm -hmm. The idea that you could pretend that some other person no longer exists in your world Mm. Um, that just seems very challenging to me because some of it is just pretending, you know, that other right. person is there, whether you're paying attention to them or not. I think, I don't, I don't know if we are actually more sensitive. I think we have lost the practice of working things out. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think by nature, humans are sensitive you know, we're, we are all, we all are wounded pretty easily. It takes practice to strengthen yourself so that you feel calm and centered and grounded and you recognize that whatever is going on with those other people doesn't necessarily affect you at your core. There are different ways to handle it. Um, 
But the idea that you could just wipe out a person's being, they're there anyway. Mm. Yeah, you know, the thing is when even any kind of interaction, human relationship you have from your immediate family, extended family, your close friends, your old friends, your new friends, sometimes there's this, you know, inevitable thought process or the cycle of thinking that spirals out and if it's negative, you kind of just, you can't stop those thoughts, right? It just goes, and many times it's not real. You just kind of build these scenarios. You anticipate that I'll say this, they'll say this, but that isn't the reality because many times that doesn't even come to fruition, right? You just build all these thoughts in your head and that's just your perception of someone else's reality because they might have their own story. They might have their own uh, way of thinking. And um, sadly, you know, sometimes what happens is that when you're online, um, it's so easy to kind of, you know, give voice to these thoughts and find people to agree with you and kind of gen- then make you feel like, you know what, I am right. I am the person who's the victim. I am the person. And sadly, it doesn't give you an opportunity to work through this narrow way of looking at the world or narrow way of um, looking at other people. And you always are, can find a shoulder to sob on. And that that makes it harder, right? It makes, I wouldn't say resilience harder, but it makes the opportunity to work through the, the the situation because many times I have this thought and I'm like, okay, this person might do this. And I try to remind myself, you know what, I, or I'd rather talk to people like, you know, this, as you just said, it's, it's, it's one part of the story. You know, they, they might be doing something else. They might not even be thinking about you. So remember that it might be your way of looking at the situation and putting your insecurities, your fears onto that person. You're projecting it on that person. And after a little bit of work, after a little bit of thinking about it, after a little bit of distancing myself from the situation, I'm like, you know what? That was unnecessary. It kind of just gave your mind fodder to spiral out of control and arrive at this conclusion when that's really not the reality. Um, but I, I think it's harder for people now to work through that because of what I just said a few few minutes back. You know what I wonder? Mm-hmm. I wonder if what you're really putting together is the idea that more of us maybe suffer is the correct word from a kind of anxiety Mm -hmm. of the overthinking. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this, they're going to say that, this is what's going to happen. We frighten ourselves about everything that could go wrong. That's not everybody. Not everybody does that. Mm -hmm. But those of us who do it, we do it all the time, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you, you hear the chatter in your head. Um, and I'm old enough that I had lots of social life before social media. Yeah. You could always find people, if you had friends, you could always find people who would take your point of view, tell you the other person was wrong and that you were the victim. Yeah. Right? That yeah. was part of being in relationship with people, most people you're in relationship with want to support you. So they kind of agree with you, whether they agree with you or not, they don't think about it that deeply. They support you. Yeah. So you could always get backing for your point of view. Mm-hmm. What happens now online is, I think, two things. One is maybe three. <laughs> One is speed. Yeah. It happens so quickly. 
You don't even have to call someone on the phone. Wait for the phone to ring. I, you know, um, I'm thinking of so many conversations where you're waiting for the phone to ring, and that's where you're thinking again, oh, what am I going to say? And do I really want to say this thing? You yeah. almost have an extra moment to reflect mm -hmm. and think better of what might have been a precipitous action. Yeah. Um, so it's too fast in the first place. And there are too many people potentially able to correspond with you mm. all at once. Um, and you don't actually know most of them. And we do think differently about people we don't really know. Mm. We're less careful with strangers in many ways. We ignore them more. So it makes sense just structurally that it would be easier to commit a kind of negative behavior in today's environment. Yeah. But I don't think it's because people actually want to be negative or think of themselves as negative. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, you know the old expression, get a life? <laughs> yeah. I, in a weird way, it's just too easy. This, the, the tools are too seductive. They are meant to be addictive. And so people can get caught up if they don't have enough other stuff going on. Yeah. Because somebody who would spew negativity 20 years ago, a dozen people heard it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And now there's just this multiplier effect. I think, and I'm sure it's because I'm old enough to have come from the before times, but I try not to behave any differently in social media than I ever behaved in the rest of my life. Hmm. I choose who I speak to. I try to broadcast positive or helpful messages generally, the same as I would in, in regular life. And if I have something negative to say, my watchword from when I was a very young working person, I don't know who I heard this from got this advice from but somewhere i picked up the idea would you want this thing you did or said to be on the front page of the new york times yeah and that has been such a good guide for me so i i haven't experienced the kind of victimization you talk about even on social media although i do know it exists yeah no and that's that's such a an important thing right because when you feel um because in one way there is this compulsion that you have to perform for the world you have to live for the world you have to show uh, put your strongest foot forward and show the highlights in your life and um and at the same time words like vulnerability and authenticity are sh are being bandied around like you know the hashtags that are so important and but i can't really believe that that can really exist when you're only kind of showing your your, you know, the, 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 the strengths all the time or showing your achievements or your success stories all the time. But what you said is, while that is being done on one side, it seems like the responsibility of, to yourself, because, you know, when you meet a person, uh, whoever it may be, right, meet a colleague at work and meet a friend or meet a new person, there is this kind of um, interaction, guidelines for interaction, or there's this ethic, which is you do uh, watch what you say because 
you know, there are consequences to your actions, to your words. So it kind of seems contradictory, right? One side, you are performing uh, for all these strangers to impress them, yet there's no responsibility. You can say whatever. You can attract people by saying hate. You can attract people by saying negative things. You can attract people by saying lies. And on the other side, in the real world uh, or offline, you have this, 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 uh, at least I, I totally agree with you because even I kind of watch what I say. Of course, sometimes, you know, you go overboard when, you know, in certain situations when you lose control. But for the most part, there is this, I wouldn't say filter, but there's this, there's this internal mechanism that kind of guides the way you meet and talk and interact with people. So, yeah, I don't have, I, I don't have a question, but I'm just trying to understand that <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite baffling, right? It just seems extremely human to me. Mm. We want to look our best to others. Yeah. In general, we don't, most of us, and maybe I shouldn't say that, but classically, we don't like to show our shadow side. We're kind of afraid of that. Yeah. You know, we try to compartmentalize it or not confront it so much. Um, you're right about the artificiality of social media as a platform. I think that's an ongoing tension in the same way that public relations always had that ongoing tension or even um, having a resume. Yeah, yeah. It is best foot <clears throat> forward because think of people going on a first date. You're not going to tell the first date all your odd eccentricities and the things that are really important to you necessarily because you want to see what they're like. And you know it's going to take a few rounds before you really know yeah, what yeah. each other is like. And you let down your guard a little and you relax and you feel more comfortable or you decide it's not for you. Mm. My feeling about authenticity and vulnerability is we are who we are and the truth comes out. I really believe that. <laughs> yeah. It may least, not yeah. in the in the very first interaction, although sometimes you know. You know, um you talk to a person and you just get the sense of whether they would be good for you or not. And you might be wrong. Sometimes yeah. we're wrong. But um if I present inauthentically on social media, then when someone gets in touch with me to see about my working with them, they're going to be disappointed. Mm. And they won't want to hire me. And the reason I'm on social media is for business purposes. I wouldn't be on there for my regular human connection. I do that in other ways. Yeah. Um, so... I actually feel like I can't afford, I can be nicely dressed. You know, I'm wearing a scarf now. I wear a scarf almost every day. It's part of my sort of, it's just how I dress. It's part of my persona. Mm -hmm. So it's meant to look nice, but it's not fake. I actually wear it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so. And that's what I, I you know, uh, I find that, uh, sorry for interrupting. No, um, good, Please. No, because we have this whole um, generation of advertising which is going through individuals' 
pr- promote, and you mentioned the scarf thing, and I think that's, I just wanted to talk about uh, the appearance, right? Because you have individuals called influencers and influencers, of course, influencing people. And I find it, um, I wouldn't say inauthentic, but I find it quite crazy how, um, you know, I'm, again, I, I think advertising in itself is selling a certain story. I don't know if it's a true or, a, you know, but an aspirational story. But when you have an individual who's being approached by 15, 20 brands, and they're all different, right? I get it. There are some who are doing really, really good work with spreading the message of whatever it may be with, uh, with, with, with better lifestyle, better food, better fitness. But for every one of those or 10 of those, there may be 100 or 1,000 others who are one day they're selling, you know, <clears throat> supplements. The next day they're selling you know, the best uh, blender on Amazon or the next day they're selling something. So the thing is, they, they might not even, like you wear the scarf because that's part of what you've di- chosen to kind of display your image, your, your, your comfort level, and that's what you're confident about. But I don't think everyone can, they, they're not able to do that because they jump at any brand that comes at them because they want to, it's kind of become this, this rush to kind of get everything quickly and as you said speed it's all about getting popular quickly it's about getting rich quickly but how does that from from a business point of view how how does someone like that sustain that model for years because you you hear about it for six months then that person's gone now three months another person comes up so it's very replaceable these influencers because there are some of those who've you know really been around for years i mean this entire digital era is about 22 years old so it's not that long a time that we're talking about but you have some people who withstood that 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 sort of twenty year period. But then you hear about people who are big for six months, then they're nowhere because one is someone else has replaced them, or two they've had some mental health breakdown and they can't cope with that popularity. So, I'm, yeah. So how how does it, you know someone like you who spent so many years in the space of looking at businesses uh, look at this model of the influencer? In a way, you answered your own question. <laughs> Oh damn it! <laughs> me and my <laughs> me and my wordiness. <laughs> because because um, everybody's looking to make a living, mm-hmm. and everybody's entitled to do that. Mm-hmm. If people are too shallow, too surface, willing to take anyone's money, mm-hmm. and don't have a solid core of expertise, consistency, they do often flare out. Mm -hmm. They might be okay for a while, and then they might learn a sturdier kind of path. I mean, speaking as a consultant, it's always been true that there were people who said they were consultants with very little background. Yeah. Some of them matured into knowing what they were doing. Yeah, we all start out at the beginning, you know, so there are a lot of different ways to progress. If you take any kind of business from anybody, your reputation may not be as good exactly to your point as someone who's more consistent and has a clear mission or set of values. So when the market is working well, it recognizes that difference pretty quickly. If there is, you know, bad faith kind of stuff, I mean, this is why here in the States, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission has all kinds of rules 
you have to declare in effect that you're an influencer. You're supposed to say that you've received these products. Mm. Not everybody follows the rules, of course, but there are actual governmental structures to try to make sure that people aren't being conned. Right. So sometimes the market knows it's on its own. Sometimes government has to step in to protect us if we can't tell. In general, though, mm. if I can tell somebody's a phony, why would I listen to them? Right. So exactly to your point, if you feel suspicious about somebody who seems, you know, it's vitamins one day and blenders the next, and maybe they're really just talking about health, but maybe what they're talking about makes no sense, then the smart thing is to not pay attention. Mm. It doesn't mean you have to take them on. Right. But why waste yeah. your time? True. But you know, you have um, a lot of shift happening in the space of business a lot of opportunities which are great with with the digital space and even you know where i live in bangalore it suddenly now seems like everyone is now got a startup and they just got startup ideas it's seed funding the talk is just money 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 making pitch decks making elevator pitches it's never ending right but what i try to what i what i'm trying to understand is um as you said a good idea will eventually stand the test of time and it of course with the right kind of inputs with the right kind of team it will grow but sometimes a lot of the ideas aren't picked up because of whatever the reason right it might uh, get swamped by these by by all the noise on the internet like i was talking to a, a, a prof professor of psychology from um, virginia tech and he said you know he's been in it for 50 years but sometimes he's worried that the message, the research that he's done doesn't get out because of pop psychologists on social media who give you three rules to feel happy in five, in three minutes or, you know, 10 ways to get rich in 10 minutes. And it seems that that's what people want. They want the quick fix. So when you apply that to a business, um, someone starting a business, someone who's struggling with the business, how do you put it in perspective? Because they might say, you know what, I'm just not, the algorithms aren't favorable to my 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 online business maybe my e-commerce business maybe my the product i'm trying to promote online because at the end of the day the footprint you have online does help you grow your business so how do you approach that you sure know how to load up a question i think i just talk too much i don't think it's loading no. up intentionally <laughs> i think you have a lot of ideas at the same time i'm going to try to parse this out right so one thing at the beginning of your idea of, of this question mm -hmm. had to do with some good ideas don't get heard. Mm -hmm. There's too much noise. And that's where some promotion is important. Right. And promotion. So I think there are people who are perhaps instinctively promotional, self-promotional, and people who are less so, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know if that's a fair binary, but let's let's use it. I am mindful of something Marshall Goldsmith said. Do you know who he is? He's like the number one leadership coach in the universe. Okay. Um, very famous book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Mm. And a very practical thinker um, about how executives should function 
for their good and for the good of their organizations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said, if you have concerns about the phoniness of self-promotion and the noise and all these things, he asked, is the world better off or worse off if they hear about you and come to get your help? Mm -hmm. And if you believe in what you're doing, of course, you think the world is better off. Yeah. Well, if you want them to find you, you have to put up a signpost, which in this world is at least as much digital as it is, yeah. you know, concrete. So the need for intelligent promotion is there. So your professor that you spoke with mm -hmm. may need support getting his ideas out if he's not personally skillful at yeah. that. Yeah. The issue of startup and how do you get going and how long it takes. So when I work with clients, I'm very clear that nothing strong happens overnight e mm -hmm. big successes there are very few overnight successes they are overnight successes after 15 years in development struggling right it looks overnight because we don't see the struggle mm. humans have always wanted quick fixes that's why we prefer a pill to exercise <laughs> yeah. um right it's it's how we are. If there's a way to do it fast, we want it. And so many people will try fast things first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. But then if they want real success, they probably have to take a longer and slower path that involves experimentation and consistent practice and hard work. Hard work actually pays off if you are pointing yourself in the right direction. Mm. That's important. Just kind of slogging at something which is, yeah, not going to work if it's not in the right direction. Yeah. No, because I find, um, no, thanks for answering that because I, I did um, put out a lot of <laughs> thoughts in my head in that particular statement. I wouldn't even say statement, that particular um, chapter. <laughs> 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 but, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you, you kind of have um, these situations where you have social conditioning which has uh, led you to believe in a certain way you um, think you should be or what you should do or how you should live. Um, and then you might change as a person by just by experience, by life experience. You're like, you know what? What I was told in school or in college doesn't apply to me anymore. Yet there are two worlds you're trying to navigate, the way you were conditioned to believe and live and want and achieve and this new way that you want fulfillment or you want a different value system or a different way of living. So that leads to inner conflict. Uh, and how does someone in today's day and age when it's rapid, it's fast, it's changing constantly, approach the inner conflict and resolve the inner conflict or even begin to understand that there's inner conflict? That's a beautiful question. Um, let me say first, I do not consider myself an authority mm -hmm. on this, although, of course, I have opinions. Um, 
I'm a big believer in therapy. Mm -hmm. That it is very helpful to work with a skillful person to help you learn what you really think. Sometimes mm -hmm. to get past some of that conditioning, to see what the opportunities are for you in the way to think about yourself and your life. And sometimes to connect up your thoughts about who you're supposed to be and your feelings about who you really are. But there are other ways to work on this. You know, there are some people who read or journal. There are many different approaches. Right. The thing is that figuring out your life is the work of your life. Yeah. And yeah. if you are open to the world and willing, I think you can keep working on that until you die. Mm -hmm. Because you have new experiences. I go back to our first conversation about children. Mm -hmm. The great thing about kids is they're always younger than you are. So they're <laughs> always, right? So they're yeah. always experiencing an earlier stage of your life and one of the advantages of their lives. And one of the advantages that parents have that many non-parents don't is seeing what your children are going through and how your children think helps you reflect again what you thought at their age, what you thought now, what worked for you then, what didn't work for you, what you want to share with them. I find it is a constant opportunity to revisit who and how I want to be. That's lovely. Yeah. And that's all good. You yeah. know, it, um, it can be painful. I don't mean to discount that because human beings are in many ways tribal creatures. We, we need groups to survive as we did as our earliest ancestors did. And so if the reconsideration, as you described it, sometimes means that you are rejecting some of your early conditioning or early programming, that can be painful if you have to separate yourself from family or community, if you have to explain that you have different thoughts, if people are no longer loving to you or accepting of you because you've expressed differences that's hard yeah and that's why it's very helpful to not only have your own thoughts but whether it is a friend group or a counselor or the wisdom of the ages you can work yourself through those things and come out better yeah no that's that's i really i really think that's um, you know quite a quite a lovely way of looking at the, the when you're looking at a child and you kind of put yourself with that because we, we so often don't do that we kind of just stand at this place and project um, our reality and our perception on the kids reality while we spoke about this right if we an opportunity to unlearn and kind of say you know what let's go through that stage of that of their life and let me go through it on my own as well. So it's it's an amazing opportunity. But one thing I've realized is, you know, uh, what, what tends to happen when you kind of do uh, go through the process that you just described with help or 
in whatever way you can do it um and you set on this path of understanding what makes you happy and what who you are and uh, what gives you fulfillment there are these moments where you kind of go back into that other world and you wake up with, oh i slipped up but it's so important not to be hard on yourself because that way had such a grasp on you for so many years and that's the way you looked at life and and i think reminding yourself you know what that this is a process and as you said earlier there's a process that is what is what life is it's not that you have to do it like a deadline in 6 months and then move on to the next project it's an and and i i just wanted to make that observation because I, i i catch myself doing that sometimes you know going oh man you slipped up again but you're like yeah slipped up at what at at living <laughs> that's a, that's exactly right what you are expressing in some ways is self compassion mhm which is a crucial skill and too many people don't have it and really speak so harshly to themselves in ways they would never speak to a loved one yeah once you beat yourself up it's really hard to grow that process of being harsh with yourself actually keeps you stuck right because yeah. then you frighten yourself um mm-hmm. it's hard to move forward but recognizing that we are all imperfect but we can keep trying anyway mm-hmm. uh, you see i'm very hopeful about the human condition and that we can do better and learning from our children other people's children there are expectations that younger generations have today of course i think to a great extent in terms of workplace issues um so sometimes that's annoying to older people why should they have why should these kids have an easy time i didn't have an easy time that kind of sentiment yeah but if those kids are figuring out something that's better or smarter isn't it to our advantage to learn from them even if they are ahead of us there is nothing wrong with somebody being ahead of you if you can learn from them and therefore get farther on your own path the fact that someone is more successful or has more happiness or better work life balance or whatever it happens to be if you can find somebody like that who you think is doing anything better than you are it's a great advantage to watch them and figure out what you should try rather than just thinking oh i'll never have that or they don't deserve that which is something as humans we do all the time um i really believe that unless somebody's a psychopath we can all improve ourselves so whatever example is in front of our faces that we can take advantage of that's a good thing we may have to get over ourselves to do it but recognizing it is actually a benefit yeah you know i i um recently heard from a comedian i was talking to he said a very nice in put this nicely said one thing that's got me through all the years of doing stand up without feeling overwhelmed or feeling like i'm not being overtaken he said that someone else's success is not my failure and i think it captures what you just said because there's such a tendency that when someone else does well we feel like we haven't done well or we want to bring them down or and that 
creates a lot of resentment it creates a lot of this this way of this collective way of you know what that that person must have done something and why 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 don't i deserve that and it just doesn't serve and 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 i can vouch for that way of thinking because i've been in moments where i'm like just it creates so much internal anger frustration and and who gets hurt at the end of the day you no one else that person's doing their thing you know yes um the last thing you said is exactly right those negative thoughts only hurt you doesn't hurt the other person mm-hmm. and it's it's not a zero sum game there are specific circumstances that are mm-hmm. i think stand up must be so incredibly hard to do i don't know how people put themselves through it <laughs> but there are times when somebody else will get the gig and you won't yeah and at that time you didn't get it and yeah. that feels bad but that doesn't mean you'll never get it or that you won't get the one that's right for you everybody's disappointed a whole bunch yeah you know it's it's not like that person everything is perfect in that other comedian's life all the time no problems yeah we all have the same kinds of challenges not necessarily at the same moment there is the potential for more success for everybody it's not a zero sum game it is hard to see that in the moment but for many people that kind of challenge would be a spur okay i'm going to i call it leapfrogging i'm going to get ahead of that guy i don't yeah. have to hate him i just have to think wow he's doing so well how could i do even better and make my own plan mm. that's nice because i think recognizing that in the moment is hard but it's important but um let's you know you speak about conflict at the workplace i just want to address a few things in that space um we hear a lot about you know especially as a consultant and as a person who helps businesses and people there's a lot of this goal setting recognizing where you want to be in some time in some years um and even with individuals there's this you know becoming a better version setting goals gaining skills and it's a great thing i think and and you've you know you've, you've addressed that in some way that you can have your own plan and recognizing that different people have different challenges and opportunities come at different times but i want to understand when you have a an organization full of people like this who have aspirations who have dreams and there is a hierarchy there is a structure there is a a lot of elements which are beyond just the human resource and the human condition how does this way of um you know improving performance in gaining skills um without you know i mean you know not without but with the with the context of competition how does that play to conflict and how does uh how does how does someone like you approach a situation when there's an organization um with any organization because i, I don't think it's specific to one or two okay that's a very big question <laughs> so the first thing i want to say is there is no easy answer to that mm-hmm. question there is no three point plan that's going to resolve that inherent tension yeah 
you have to come at it from multiple approaches or, or vectors at once. And this is part of why leadership is so much harder than it looks like it would be. Yeah. In situations like that, it is very helpful to recognize the strengths and capabilities of every person on your team. Mm -hmm. Really know them well. I want to say that as a baseline for everything. Because if you don't know the people, it's hard to help them do their best for your organization, whatever kind it is, whether you're running, you know, a huge Fortune 100 company or the corner store. Knowing what they're good at and where they need to grow, that's like table stakes. Figuring out how to help them be and do their best is the next thing. And that's even harder. It's really hard, this stuff. Thank goodness, because that's how I make my living. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) and part of why it's hard, it's everything we talked about. People look for a quick answer. Mm -hmm. So I will um, promote the person who sells the most or who makes the most widgets or it's a quantitative assessment and that's all I look at. Okay. So that might be one way to go, but not all the widgets might be of the same quality. Or sometimes people make sales, but their customers aren't as happy as a different salesperson who says, Oh, I understand you're not ready today, but I'll come back in three months when you are ready. Yeah. And we consummate the deal then. So there are loads of factors going on. In general, as we talked before, if you have a good business proposition, if you are offering something the marketplace wants, if you figure that out, and you have lots of talented, truly good people, it's true they may feel a little competitive, but helping them all get better helps grow your business. And it may be that there isn't room for all of them. Mm -hmm. You can't afford to pay all of them the extra money you'd like to give them. Yeah. And so some of them may choose appropriately to go work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that can be equally good because maybe they go to one of your suppliers and you have a fantastic relationship then forever after with that supplier. Or they go and learn other skills in some other organization and then come back to you when they're at a higher level to fill a special job you've just opened. In general, in the long game, if you take care of and develop your people to be the best they can be, there will be larger rewards. That is not always true in any given quarter. In any given quarter, some people will be happier than other people and one person may leave and one person may feel you're treating them unfairly. And this is why you have to really know them well and understand what would be good for them. And sometimes the best thing for them is to say, I can't afford to give you what you what you deserve. Mm. And you actually help them find a better job somewhere else. Well, that's good because who wouldn't want to come and work for you if that's the kind of leader you are? Yeah. 
So it becomes this sort of self-reinforcing universe of how you deal with people. Yeah. And again, it's that concept of letting go, right? And some, some, yeah. Very good. Yeah. You know, I you know, read over the past year or three, these episodes where, you know, I'm going to give it more in the space that I'm familiar with. Like there were walkouts in companies because say at Netflix, the employees didn't agree with the content the company was commissioning or at Spotify because of some of the shows which were, in their opinion, not putting out the truth um so how does a person deal with that because it's i mean is it a moral issue uh because it's clearly not a business issue right i i think moral issues and business issues have more intersection Mm -hmm. more overlap than we often think about If people feel strongly that I am being asked to take an action or to work in a place that violates my values and therefore I want to leave, good for that person who wants to leave. Mm -hmm. I think they are expressing the kind of authenticity you talked about before. Yeah. I think that's all to the good for them. And it is their right to try to find a place that suits them better. I hope they are careful that they are paying their bills at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I agree that you should not work in a place that violates your values. And taking this from a slightly different perspective, sometimes there are people who complain and complain about the business they work for. Oh, yeah. And I say... (laughs) Yeah. Why do you stay? If you hate it so much, it's not healthy. I know people Find like that. Someplace, right? A lot of people like that. I hate my so job. The, I hate my job. I'm like, why are you there? Oh, no, right. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to quit. I need money. I'm like, how, yes. do you, how, how do you talk to someone like that? Because it's in today's, okay, as you said, it's very important to recognize that you need money to live in this world. And, you know, you have needs. You have a certain lifestyle that you've gotten used to. Let's keep that as the baseline. But... With the number of opportunities that exist out there, of course, there are more people for the same job, but there are ways in which things. So why do people stay in these jobs? I mean, because, yes, as you said, get out of that job. But clearly, there are a lot of people who don't want to get out of that job, but it's just a narrative that they got used to. Yes. So, you know, we have a lot of inertia. We have a lot of fear. We have a lot of inertia. We have a lot of comfort with the lack of risk and discomfort with the possibility of risk. Mm -hmm. People also stay in bad marriages. Yeah. People stay in homes or keep cars that break down. You know, like we do all kinds of things that in the big picture don't make that much sense. But in the day to day, we feel we're choosing the lower risk choice so when somebody hates their job all the time just as you said i talk to them about why do you stay what do you see as the value here what are the specific parts that you hate where can you make a difference first conceptually because it's best to start with ideas that are a little distant from us and not too terrifying if we get too scared then we can't think so 
making sure that a person doesn't feel like I'm telling them they have to leave. They should just think about what would be better for them. Could it be better here? If you went and negotiated with your boss, if you had somebody facilitate the conflict you have with your peer in this other department, could it just get better if you worked at it in a different way? So that's the first kind of thing. But the second thing is if they really feel it can't get better, take the opportunity to look at your life. How could you have a better life with a job that you cared more for? What could you consider? And, you know, and then how do you go through the process of looking for another job? A lot of people don't don't actually know what to do. And so they need somebody to explain. Sometimes people really are stuck because they have certain financial requirements, they have kids to feed, they have rent to pay, whatever it is, and they do not see a way out at the current time. And if that is the case, then it's important to try to help them shift from, I hate this job, to, I appreciate this job because it lets me feed my kids I hate this task that is really uncomfortable for me. Thank goodness I only have to do it once a day. Or I really dislike this colleague and I don't know if I can ever like them better. But I can respect the fact that in their realm, the work they do is appreciated. Mm. Shifting your perspective can help you live with things. But Having said all that, if you actually believe that there are moral or ethical violations, if you are subject to bullying, for example, find a way to get out. Do not make yourself unsafe going to work every day. We're at work more than we're at the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a terrible equation. Mm. Yeah, I find that, you know, when you, of course, you mentioned all the considerations some people just have to work for various reasons, for various obligations and responsibilities. But, you know, it's such an interesting thing that considering we spend 60, 80, I don't know how many hours a week, that we we don't look at it as a life decision. We look at it as a monetary decision or a skill decision, right? And I find that interesting because there are so many other factors that can 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 compensate for maybe not getting the right salary or getting the right position but if there are other things like if it's fun to go to work there are fun people or well you know what the commute is good i can you know or the it it so are those some things that you should consider as well and not just the the position or the the company or the pay package You kind of have answered your own question again, because yes. (laughs) I should do an episode with myself. (laughs) Um, Of course. I mean, in my case, for example, I have worked with all kinds of organizations through my career. Mm -hmm. In the last few years, what I do the most of Because I love it, and we seem to find each other, and it really works. I work with a lot of family businesses, 
and um, privately owned and operated businesses mm -hmm. and nonprofits that are also sort of non-corporate yeah. in, their, in their nature. Because I found that working with large corporations, too much bureaucracy, all kinds of red tape, and sometimes more group thing, all kinds of reasons, I prefer this kind. Yeah. This kind does not pay as much as the big tech companies, just yeah. for example. Yeah. Well, that's fine with me. I mean, I make enough money to have a good life. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not worried about my rent. That's a different thing. Yeah. I have loads of privilege and I know it. Um, but I have chosen what is fun to do. I don't want to be miserable. Yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah, really yeah. strongly about that. Yeah. The other thing I feel very strongly about is my independence. Mm -hmm. When I don't like an organization's business practices, first of all, I actually tell them. Because I tell them they could do better if they would give up these practices that I don't care for. And I give them a business rationale for doing it. But that doesn't mean they're going to change. Of course, it's their right to keep doing the thing that I disapprove of. Yeah. So long as it's not illegal, they can do it. Yeah. But I don't have to be there. Yeah. So either I don't renew with them or in very rare cases, I have actually said, this is what I have completed. Let's be done. Thank you very much. And, and I, I don't go back. Um, because it's important to me that I be able to do that. I don't want to feel trapped. So knowing what's important to you, we worry about money all the time. Almost everybody worries about money all the time, even when we have some. But knowing what's important to you so that you can have a good day, so long as your actual needs are handled, whatever that baseline is, there's a lot more choice than just about how much am I paid. Mm. There are many more things that can give us satisfaction. And also, I'm going to say this as somebody who has her own business, a sense of legacy and having created value and meaning in the world and not just you know, punched the clock and showed up every day dragging to do something unpleasant. Mm. I liked your answer a lot better than mine, just in case <laughs> people are wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to ask you one thing. You've, you've taken the time to share so many experiences and a lot of valuable tips and the way we can look at um, our experience and the situation we are in. Uh, you, you've spent so many years in this and now you help people. What has been that one skill and that one value that has helped you through all the things you've been through, the ups and downs, the good, the challenges, whatever it's been. It's been, I'm sure, a very interesting ride. Uh, but what is that one skill and that one value that you've found really, really helpful? So, um, 
you sometimes ask complex questions and I often give complex answers. I don't think I can limit myself to one thing. That's fine. That's fine. Um, okay. I'm going to say that there are really three th things, thinking about it, mm -hmm. that keep me going even when times are difficult, mm -hmm. when I'm frustrated or struggling. One is I'm incredibly curious. I really want to know. I want to know why something works, doesn't work, how it came to be. I want to know. And I can want to know even when I feel terrible. <laughs> so that's a, a motivating spark in a way. Nice. A second thing is I have confidence that I will figure something out. And I believe this is true for most people. There is always something you can do. Sometimes you have to wait or hold still for a minute and not act right away. But there is, if you're alive and nothing, you know, there's no fire and no blood, there's almost always something you can do. And I have confidence that I will figure it out. Mm. And the, th the third thing, and it took me more years to come to this. I really have a lot of compassion for how much people go through and what a hard time we give ourselves and that everybody has. And remembering that lets you not take things so personally, lets you look for hope in the situation and figure out the thing you can do. Yeah, it's. I think it's those three things. I'll stop there. I'm sure I could come up with more, but... Let's stop with that one. No, that's beautiful. Um, because, yeah, the third one, it's, yeah, it takes time. <laughs> yes, it took me longer. Yeah, yeah. Liz, it's been a pleasure. And um, sorry if I uh, interviewed myself at moments in the podcast. <laughs> but it, uh, it was really, really um, insightful and really, really um, appreciate you, you know, spending time you know, guide, guiding me through some of the things which I find confusing and I think people listening as well will really appreciate. And uh, a lot of people are looking for uh, fulfillment. A lot of people are looking for joy. A lot of people are confused about how to go about it. And I'm sure what you've said has really helped them. So thank you and yeah, appreciate it. Sopi, I really enjoyed this conversation so much because we talked about deep things and it was also very fun. Thank you. That means a lot because um, as I said at the beginning before we recorded, it's for me, um, I'm curious as well. And these conversations help me kind of get different um, people with different experiences sharing their point of view and helps me sometimes, you know, dispel certain myths or certain ideas that I think are right or, you know, that I think that people should be in a certain way. And a lot of the things you said today went a long way at, um, at adding to my, um, the way I look at the world. So I really um, thank you for that. Thank you. That's very meaningful to me. Thanks.
Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.